Philippians chapter 3, where Paul has been talking about how he has been willing to give up everything that he previously thought gain, everything that he previously thought was to his advantage, everything that the world as they would have looked upon him and saw his accomplishments and his, his accolades, his, his heritage, it would have been envious to any Jewish man to say, I... Oh, That's the life I want. Man, that is the family. If only I could have been born into that family. If only I had that pedigree, that education, those accomplishments. Paul says that all those things that I previously considered important, I consider them as loss for the purpose of knowing Jesus Christ. But this is not just an intellectual knowledge about Christ, facts about who he is, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, though we cannot have a personal relationship with Christ apart from those things, so those things are important. But but it's not enough for Paul just to have that intellectual knowledge, but rather he seeks to gain that close, personal, intimate relationship with the Lord of Lords, the one before whom every knee will one day bow. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. And that relationship then in turn has supplied Paul with a righteousness that is not his own, increasing knowledge and association with Christ in both his his death and his resurrection. And he anticipates that one day he will be resurrected and be before his Lord in glory. But his aim, his desire is to know Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Well, from there, he is now going to go on to what's the, what the Christian life looks like or what it should look like as, as we live out our lives, as we seek to live in faithfulness to Christ, what our lives look like now he addresses a potential misunderstanding that, that perhaps Paul is this, this super saint. He has, he has arrived, right? He has achieved all that there is to achieve. He's been sanctified. He knows Jesus Christ. He's made it. There's nothing higher for him to attain. Paul's going to address that. Does Paul have perfect knowledge of Jesus Christ? Paul is going to go on to say, no, I am not perfect. I have not attained to a perfect knowledge of Christ, but I press onward. As we approach our text today, I want us to keep in mind that the context of the previous text that we observed, where Paul was heavily stressing his desire to know Christ, To know Christ is why he was willing to suffer the loss of all things. To know Christ is why it is worth enduring all this hardship that he's been talking about throughout this book. Because he gets to know Christ. It is worth it to know Christ. And as we come into our text today, that remains the underlying current. The knowledge of Christ, increasing in the knowledge of Christ. So as we do come into our text... We want to remember that, that, that the pursuit of additional sanctification within our lives, pursuit of additional holiness, it's more than just letting go of sin. That's important. 
We don't deny that. That is critical for our lives. But it's more than that. It is pursuing a deeper knowledge of Christ on a personal level. Let's look at our text, Ephesians chapter, or Ephesians, ah, Philippians, excuse me. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained, the, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if, if, anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What we're going to see from this text is that the, the progressing Christian life, and that is the progressing, not progressive, is that has different connotations today, but the progressing Christian life, those who are progressing in their Christian walk, the progressing Christian life is one that is marked by a holy discontentment a focus, a determination, and a certain mindfulness of certain realities. First, we see the progressing Christian life is marked by a holy discontentment. It's what he says back in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. It might seem strange to us to identify and say, oh, the, the Christian life is to be one of, of discontentment. Reflect upon that and consider, you know, there's, there's actually some texts of Scripture that, that indicate for us that we're supposed to be content, right? I mean, we have uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, right? The Bible speaks of contentment as a virtue, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And of course, Paul is actually going to later write in this very book of Philippians chapter 4, he says, I am not speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So contentment is something that is a positive thing. It is a virtue in our Christian lives. But in each of those contexts, the issue of contentment is about physical and material matters. Possessions, money, physical well-being. That is what Paul speaks of when he says, I've learned to be content. It's, whether I'm hungry or whether I am full, I am content. Whatever the physical, material possessions I may have, no, we are to be content. Not to pursue the love of money, but contentment. So in, that, in those contexts, yes, we are called to be content. But when it comes to our personal Christian walk, there is an appropriate, holy discontentment that should mark how we approach our lives. It should be present within us. Because here's the reality. 
Well, I'll speak for myself, and then I'll let you speak for yourself. But I know I've got things I need to work on in my life. Amen? (laughs) Liz can attest to that. He's like, yep, that is true. He certainly does, right? But if we're being honest, that's that's true for all of us, right? We have things in our lives that, I mean, maybe anybody here willing to say, okay, nope, I'm actually perfect. Oh, hey. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Hmm. We might have to examine that a little bit closer. <laughs> yeah, I, I've made it, right? That's just, uh, we shouldn't be able to say that. There are some that, that might try to make that case within their lives, but if we're being honest, there's none of us that says, I no longer struggle with any sin. I, I have arrived. I have attained to perfect sanctification. I have this perfect ongoing relationship with God and my heart is never selfish and I'm never far from God. That's just not our experience, right? It's, that's just not how, where we find ourselves in this Christian life. And if we're willing to recognize that, if we're willing to admit that we still have room for improvement within our lives, the good news is, is you're in good company. Because the Apostle Paul himself was willing to admit that and willing to acknowledge that he still had work to do. That he still needed to be refined by God so, so that we may look more and more like the Savior, Jesus Christ. He says at the end of the previous paragraph that, that he anticipates attaining to the resurrection from the dead one way or another. He says that's, and he, he phrases it that way, where he says, uh, in the ESV, it's, it's translated as that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The concept is, well, I don't know if I'm going to be raptured home. I don't know if I'm going to be killed or martyred for the faith. I don't know if I'm going to die of old age. But, but one way or another, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, because of the, res- the righteousness that has been accounted to me, that has been attributed to my account, I will attain to the resurrection from the dead. I'm going to be glorified. But he recognizes and says, not that I've already attained. I'm, I'm actually not there yet. Whatever you may think of me, whatever I, yes, I am an apostle, that is true. But whatever you may think of me otherwise, I'm not there yet. I've not been glorified. He recognizes that as long as he is on this earth, he has not yet been perfected. And he has not yet obtained a perfect knowledge of Christ. Not that I've already obtained or I'm already perfect, but I press on. I hope that's an encouragement to you today to just sit and reflect upon, okay, yeah, you know, even the Apostle Paul, even Paul needed to work on things. Even he had room for growth. Sometimes we can look and think about some of the characters in the Bible and we can think of them as these super saints, these, these incredible heroes of the faith, and it is It is good and right to recognize when we see these individuals living by faith and we desire to emulate that, but sometimes we can place them up on too high of a pedestal and think that they're these superhumans, that it's impossible that they could have done anything wrong. I'm sorry, but these are fallen, sinful human beings, and Paul himself was willing to recognize that. The reality is that Paul, even, even as an apostle, and none of us will ever be an apostle, but even so, from the standpoint of personal holiness and knowing Christ, Paul recognized that he himself was still in progress. Now again, on the one hand, that should be encouraging for us. Like, okay, 
Paul has some work to do, so you know what? Hey, we're in the, all in the same boat here, okay? We have some work to do in our lives. So on one hand, that should be encouraging, but, but even Paul, as he saw that, he recognized, okay, yes, we all have work to do, but that doesn't mean it's okay for us to live in sin, right? A recognition of imperfection is not permission to sin. A recognition of imperfection is not permission to sin. Sometimes we can use the phrase, well, nobody's perfect. And that's true. No one is perfect. But we often take that phrase and we try to use it to excuse bad behavior and to minimize our own sin. Such comments are an attempt to to make us comfortable with our own sin. It's like we do something that's wrong and we know it's wrong and our our conscience is bothering us a little bit in order to dissuade our our conscience to to just kind of quiet in our hearts a little bit and say, well, nobody's perfect. I can't can't be expected to live a life of perfection because nobody's perfect. And what we're doing is we're actually suppressing the Holy Spirit suppressing the conscience that God has given to us to refine us. And so we do not want to use those kinds of phrases. It's like there's, it's like there's a, a hole in the wall in your house. There's a hole. You punched a, a, a hole in the wall with a fist. There's a, it's broken. It's crumbled from the drywall. And rather than fixing it, we're going we're gonna to hang a picture over that. And it's a nice picture. It's a beautiful picture. And we cover it up with something nice to look at. So we don't have to think about what's behind there. I don't want to think about that. Well, nobody's perfect. We want to be careful we don't go that way. That's not how we should deal with sin. What should be our response? If we should not be viewing it that way, we should have a holy discontentment. A holy discontentment that says, I am not satisfied with the level of sanctification that I have obtained. I have grown in my Christian walk, and I praise God for that, but I'm, I'm not satisfied to be right here. No, I, I desire to know Christ more fully. I desire to be more like Jesus Christ. And there should be a holy discontentment that says, I, you know, I'm grateful that I'm no longer where I once was. By the grace of God, I am not what I once was. Amen. Praise God. But by His grace, I'm not going to stay where I'm at. I, I want to continue on. I want to continue my... My growth, because the reality is, is again, if we're being honest, I still sin. I still have selfishness. I still have bitter or malicious thoughts, or perhaps whatever it is that that might plague your life with a sin that still can so easily entangle us. Whatever your personal temptations are, those things are still there and still need to be reckoned with. So we should be able to say, I'm not satisfied with where I am. I hope you have a, a hatred for your sin. I hope that, that when, when you find sin within your life, you find sin in your heart and, and you're confronted with that, that, that it bothers you. No, this is not who I want to be. This is not who I've, God has called me to be. There's, there's, a, there's a hatred that that's still a present within us. You know, Paul gave the illustration, the, the, described the, the war that is going on within his own flesh in Romans chapter 7. He says, I still have this, this I, I do the things I don't want to do and the things that I, that I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am! That this is still a part of my life! And he hates that. 
He wrestles with that. But then he says, thanks be to God who delivers us from this body of sin. And then even as we have this holy discontentment that says, no, I don't want this to be in my life anymore. We have the encouragement of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. And so we can rejoice even as we have this holy discontentment, as even as we wrestle with these things in our lives. And say, I don't want this in my life anymore. And we can rest in Christ and knowing that we are not condemned in our sins even as we continue to press on towards the goal as Paul describes. And so I hope that we don't fall back on these, these cliches and these platitudes that so often get thrown around where, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so, at least I'm not like such-and-such, or hey, you know, everybody has their vices. No, we don't want to approach things that way. The progressing Christian life is one of discontentment. And Paul himself says, I, even I've not attained to what I hope to see in my life, but I press on. Again, the, the underlying current of what it means for Paul to press on is knowledge of Christ. That's that whole previous paragraph, to know Jesus Christ. And it is this knowledge that impacts how we live our lives. And it impacts our knowledge of Christ, impacts our personal sanctification before God. When Paul says, I, he says there in uh, verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. That verb there, to make it my own, it has the idea to lay a hold of something, to grasp it. This is something that Paul desires in his life. He's, he's, he's pressing on, he's, he's pursuing something, and he wants to reach out and grasp it, reaching to lay a hold of it. He's discontent with where he is in his personal walk and desires more of Christ, more of Christ in his life. It's discontentment, but it's, it's discontentment for a reason and for a purpose. Look, notice the last clause of verse 12. It says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made me his own. The same word that Paul used there when he says, I press on to make it my own. I press on, there's something I'm trying to lay a hold of. I'm trying to grasp it. That's the same word that he used to describe that Jesus has laid a hold of him. He says, I'm, I'm pressing forward and I'm trying to reach ahead. I'm trying to grasp something more here. I'm trying to continue and press on in my Christian life. And it is, I'm doing this because Christ Jesus has laid a hold of me. Jesus got a hold of my life. And of course, we know the story of Paul on the road to Damascus. And there's that bright light from heaven. And Jesus Christ appeared to the Apostle Paul. Quite literally, Jesus Christ got a hold of his life. Right? We use that as a, as, a, as a terminology when someone has a radical change in their life, when they were living completely selfishly, completely sold out to their own pattern of life. And, and then we see them walking lives of holiness later on. We say, oh, man, Jesus really got a hold of his life. Right? That's, that's a phrase that we use. Well, it's actually a biblical concept. It's right here that Jesus Christ has made me his own. Jesus Christ has, has grasped me. He has laid a hold of me. Paul says, I strain forward, I press on, I'm, I'm reaching for something to grasp something because the, Jesus Christ first laid a hold of me. 
And Jesus Christ has laid a hold of each of us for a particular purpose, which has been clearly revealed in the pages of Scripture. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. For what purpose? To be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. In whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. We have been called for a purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus Christ laid a hold of Paul, and Jesus Christ has laid a hold of you and me for our purpose. We were not saved so that we could just simply sit back and say, Well, I punched my ticket to heaven. I'm good to go, and I'm just going to wallow in my sin for the rest of my life because, hey, at least I'm going to heaven when I die. I actually believe that that mindset is contrary to what the Bible reveals about what it looks like to be a believer in Christ. And if that is our mindset, I argue that such a person is not a true believer in Jesus Christ. Because when God gets a hold of somebody, he gets a hold of somebody. And that happened to the Apostle Paul. I believe that happens to, to others as well. And so we have this, this purpose for which we have been rescued. We've been saved. Again, not so we can simply sit back, but rather we've been saved for holiness, been saved that we may know Christ and be conformed to his image. And so there should be this holy discontentment with the remaining sin that dwells within us, a desire to know Christ more fully and to taste more of his glorious splendor. But notice Paul reiterating the point in verse 13. He says, chapter 3, verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul now shifts to very emphatic language as he reiterates this point. If we were to translate this phrase literally, we could say, Brothers, even my myself I do not consider to have laid a hold of it. Again, he reiterates this. He calls, first he calls the Philippians his brothers. And I think that's important in the flow of the argument here because Paul is associating closely with them. He says, look, we are brothers here, brothers and sisters in Christ. I have not laid a hold. You, you may not feel like you've laid a hold of it. Well, I do not either. Even I myself do not consider that I have made it. That holy discontentment. The progressing Christian life is one of discontentment. Well, what's to be done? Okay, we're to be discontent, not satisfied with the, the knowledge that we have, but continuing to learn and continue to grow more and fuller. What do we do? Well, Paul writes on. I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, this is verse 13, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The progressing Christian life is focused. The progressing Christian life is focused. Oftentimes this text is used as a, uh, 
as a New Year's sermon, right, for people making their New Year's resolutions. All right, got a new year, got a fresh slate, I'm going to make these new plans and these new goals, and there's a reason for that. I mean, we see Paul's words. He says, yeah, I don't consider myself to have arrived, but he sets his sights on something. He is focused. He has a very intentional, focused pursuit of a goal. Paul says, you know, I I, I listed out my accomplishments earlier, but I don't consider those things as gain to me anymore. I, I consider them as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. I, I don't consider myself to be perfected, to have a perfect knowledge of Christ, to be walking in perfect sanctification. But he says, there actually is one thing I do consider myself to have attained. One thing, out of all his accomplishments that he could have mentioned, <clears throat> of all the churches that he's planted, of all the times he's been beaten or thrown in prison, of all the things that he could have said and held up and said, these are my accomplishments. He says, no, I have one thing. The one thing that I do consider <clears throat> is that I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on. <clears throat> says he forgets what lies behind. This is something that can be challenging for us, especially when there are things that, quite honestly, we would like to forget, but they just continually come to our minds in our hearts and in our lives. Perhaps there are things in your past that, that trouble you, sins perhaps that you've committed mistakes that you've made, things that you wish you could do over, and, and it's easy to, those things that just come flooding back into our minds, and they, they can weigh us down. They can they haunt us. I can think of times where I've lied awake at night and just reflecting upon things that I've done or said, I just wish you could take it back. And it's just hard. Paul says those things don't have to define your pursuit forward. We can forget those things. Like, yeah, those things happen. And we need to repent and deal with those things biblically. But those things don't have to define how we move forward. No, I'm forgetting the things that lie behind. Sure, maybe there's lessons learned, and we want to remember the lessons. But we don't have to let those things hold us down. It's in the past. We don't have to let the past define our path forward. Perhaps there are things that others have done to you. Things that have been incredibly painful. Someone has sinned against you and the damage has been significant. Those things can weigh on us. And they hurt. But Paul, again, he says that those things don't have to define your path forward. We don't have to allow ourselves to be entrapped and entangled in what other people think of you. We are, we, we are united to Christ by faith. Those things are in the past again, and, and, and it's difficult to, to deal with those things oftentimes. But they don't have to define us. They don't have to determine the path forward. There is new life available for you in Christ where the sins of ourselves and the sins of others don't have to define who we are and how we take our steps forward. They don't have to hold us down. On the flip side, perhaps you're resting on past successes. Hey, you know, I've made great progress here. I've, I've attained to something here and you know, I'm just going to 
kick it in the neutral. I'm just going to kick back and relax because I've I'm comfortable with how far I've come. I'm resting in past accomplishments, basking in the glow of my things that I've done. Paul says, you know what? I'm going to forget those things too. Forgetting what lies behind. I'm I'm glad you've made progress. That is good. There are lessons there that can help you and that that we learn from those things that can help us as we move forward. But but we cannot even allow our past accomplishments to keep us from actually doing that, of moving forward forward. And so whatever it is that lies behind, whether it's, whether it's our own difficulties or the, the struggles, the, the hardships that we've endured in this life, whatever those things are, Paul says, I, I'm going to forget about those things. I'm not going to let them hold me down. Brother, I'm going I'm to reach forward to what lies ahead. He says he strains it forward. That word for straining has the idea of, of stretching out your hand to reach something. He's, earlier, he used the, the terminology and the, the, the concept of grasping something, something that he's seeking to lay a hold of. And now he says, I strain for it. I'm reaching for it. I'm, I'm trying to reach something. Not long ago, I, had, uh, I set a personal goal for myself that I wanted. This is going to sound silly. I wanted to touch my toes. <laughs> it had been years and years since I've been able to touch my toes. I just, I've never really been particularly flexible, and I just wasn't able to reach my toes. Even, even when I was playing uh, soccer in college, that would have been what I would consider to be the, the, the peak of my personal fitness level. I still couldn't even touch my toes at that time. And, and so I was like, you know what, I want to touch my toes. And so there was this stretching regimen that I went through and this where I had to daily stretch out and to push myself and reach and reach. There was something that I wanted to reach and I had to continually stretch and reach out for that. It wasn't something that I could do just once. It had to be a continual effort. And guess what? I can touch my toes. Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) It's something silly, but it illustrates the concept. It's something that we're working towards. There's a goal and I'm reaching towards it. I'm stretching myself towards that. And, if, and it, I continually reach for it. There is something that I will attain to. I will get there by God's grace. I wasn't going to get there if I never reached for it. If I never actually disciplined myself, because it did take discipline. If I never actually did the work, because it was work. And it was painful at times. <laughs> It, it's a stre- they call it stretching for a reason. I, it, it, it stretches. But through that, I was able to get there and to get to that point where I was able to touch my toes. Well, similarly, if we want to attain to higher levels of sanctification, if we want to know Christ more fully and more deeply, if we want to have that closer relationship with Him, we must strain forward. We must stretch ourselves and reach for what lies ahead. And Paul is focused on that task. He's not letting all the, all the other things of life to distract him. I'm forgetting what lies behind. It's in the past. It's not going to be a distraction for me. I am reaching forward to Christ. I want to lay a hold of Christ. I want to lay a hold of greater and deeper knowledge of Christ. I'm going to strain forward. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to stretch to what lies ahead. The Christian life is one that is focused Third, the Christian life is one that is determined. The progressing Christian life is determined. It's got a goal. Verse 14 says, I press on toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is not only focused on the goal, this is, this is what he's trying to attain to. He's got his sights set on something, something that he's reaching for, something that he wants to lay a hold of, but he is determined to get there. That verb to press on, it, it was used here, and then it was used also back in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained or I'm already perfect, but I press on. That's, that's that same verb there that is used of, of pressing on. It has the idea of chasing after something. It's a zealous pursuit. Depending on the context, this word can be used to, it can be described for something that we're, uh, you're in a race and you're trying to reach for, you're trying to race for something, you're trying to pursue something as fast as you can, you're running hard after something. In another context, in fact, in just a few verses earlier, uh, back in verse 6, where Paul says, I was persecuting the church, that's the same word. The same Greek word that is used to chase after something means to persecute. It's a, it's a zealous pursuit. Paul says, I, I chased after the church. I was persecuting the church. It was a zealous pursuit. And this is the language that Paul employs here now in verse 12 and then down in verse 14 where I press on. I'm chasing after it. I've got it in my sights. I'm not going to let it go. This is something I am pursuing. He's determined that he's going to get there. I press on. The, the concept of pressing on, of chasing after something coupled with the idea of a prize, many scholars believe that's a reference to a race analogy, that there is, there's a finish line and, and you've got to keep your eyes ahead and you're trying to reach forward. I don't know if, if any, any of you have ever uh, run races or did track or anything. You have? Well, what's one of the first things that you learn when you're racing and there's, there's a field of people and you're racing and you want to know where you're at? Yeah, throw elbows, yeah. Not throw elbows. <laughs> Not that. Is it good to look back and see where other people are when you're racing? No. Why? You're, you're what? Yeah, I know. When you're prone to tripping, that's true. <laughs> what happens when you look back? It slows you down. You get distracted. You, you begin to veer off course. You don't see where you're running. The, the fastest, you know, the, the shortest direction between two points is what? The straight line. When you're looking back, you begin to veer off course. When you're looking at what's around you, you're, you're distracted. It slows you down. Paul's using this language of pressing on, of, of chasing after something towards a prize. He's got his eyes fixed on something. He's not looking to the right or the left. He's, he's forgetting what lies behind. And he strains forward to what lies ahead. He presses on, running towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ. Now, what is the goal? What is it that he's chasing after? He says it's the, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what's he talking about there? The prize of the upward call of God. I believe Paul is referring to the prize that awaits all those who have received the upward call of God. All those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have, have been effectually called unto himself. All who have responded in faith to the gospel will receive the prize. Well, if that's true, why does Paul speak of running after it? This is the prize of the upward call that, that we are going to 
know Christ. That's, Paul speaks of the, the resurrection from the dead in other contexts. He speaks of, of uh, the, the glories of heaven. And, and later on, he's actually going to speak of what it means to be a citizen of heaven later towards the end of this chapter, where we will be transformed. He will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. That's verse 31 of chapter 3. This is what's going to come for those who have faith in Christ. So why, if this is something that is for all believers, why is it that this is something that Paul says he pursues, that he chases after, that he has his eyes fixed on this thing? Well, in the context, Paul has been talking about surrendering all that he previously thought gained to himself in order to gain something far better. Knowing Jesus Christ. And as he runs towards the goal, as he pursues that very prize that he is guaranteed to receive if he finishes the race, that's the prize of the upward call, as he runs towards that, he gets to enjoy a greater and fuller knowledge of Christ, a greater and fuller sanctification, even as he runs the race, even as he anticipates the final and full glorification that is going to come gets to enjoy and appreciate the fuller knowledge of Christ along the way. And the progressive aspect of sanctification is worked out in his life. I'm reminded of the scene from C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle, last of the Chronicles of Narnia. We were talking about Chronicles of Narnia last night. There's that scene where as they're entering into the new Narnia, and they're looking around at all the beauty and the glory of what is before them. That there is a voice that is calling out to them. Come further up and further in. Further up and further in. As, as you pursue, as you come unto Aslan, as you come into his presence. All the while there's the call. They, they see Aslan, they pursue after them. They run towards their Savior. Hearing the call. Further up and further in. Come on, there's more. I believe C.S. Lewis is capturing a little bit of the idea of what Paul is referring to here. That there is greater, greater knowledge to be had, greater beauty to be enjoyed, greater glory to behold as we pursue the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That we will know Christ more fully. And we will taste in small degrees now to an increasingly greater degree, the glories and the beauties and the the wonderfulness that comes with knowing Jesus Christ, the one before whom one day every knee will bow. We get to know Him more fully and more truly as we grow in this life. And that's what Paul's chasing after. He says, one day I'm going to know Christ. I'm going to see Him face to face. I'll look forward to that day. But as I get there, I'm going to run. I'm going to pursue. I want to know Him now. I want to know Him more fully now. And so I press on. I've got my eyes fixed on the prize. I'm not going to let anything distract me that I may know Jesus Christ. He is determined. He pursues the goal. The progressing Christian life is determined. Finally, the progressing Christian life is mindful. Verses 15 and 16, Paul writes, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
So we are called to be mindful of Paul's instructions. Paul has given us his instruction. He has given us this race analogy. He has given us his own heart, his own desire, his own pursuit. And he says, anyone who's mature, this is how I want you to approach your Christian life. This is how I want you to live your life. If you're a mature believer, this is how you should pursue it. You should know, you should want to know Christ more. You should want to be pursuing your Savior. You should have that zealous pursuit that, that is not distracted by all these things around us. If you are mature, you will want to know Christ. You will have a holy discontentment. You will be focused and determined. And if that hunger isn't there, if there is that lack of hunger for growth and desire in your life, well, maybe we're not as mature as we think that we are. These are Paul's words. If anyone is mature, let him think this way. And he goes on to say, if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. As we study God's Word, His Word challenges us and it reveals to us areas where we are not in step with His Word. We are not in step with His revealed will. And His His Holy Spirit convicts us, it shows us our shortcomings, and He begins to reveal that to us through studying of His Word. And so if we are out of step with what, of how the Bible describes what the Christian life ought to look like, if we are out of step with what is commanded for us and exemplified for us in the life of Paul, well, God's Word reveals that to us. He, it, it strips away our faulty notions of our personal levels of attainment and shows us that we need to pursue Christ. It's interesting today that there are a few pitfalls in the Christian life that Paul is... I don't know if he had these specifically in mind when he wrote this paragraph, but these are things today that this paragraph directly answers and directly confronts. I mentioned it before, the concept of perfectionism. Some that believe that it is possible to attain to a level of sinless perfection on this earth while we still live out our days here. I once had a gentleman tell me that that he hadn't sinned in years. I knew this gentleman, and I knew that that was not true. <laughs> I knew that, that there were areas of his life that were not in keeping with what God's Word has to say, and that there were things that he was apparently just utterly blind to, that he had attained to a level of sinless perfection. Well, if anyone could have said that they've attained to that, it would have been Paul, and Paul himself says, yeah, not even me. Not even me. I have not attained. The second area that is a potential uh, misapplication of some biblical truth is, is that you should not be worried about putting any effort into your Christian walk at all. There are, there's a school of, of thought in this area that says that you do not need to expend effort because Christ has done it all for you. And there are elements of truth to what they say. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did say, it is finished. Right? It is not here, do, do, do all this in order to earn your salvation. It has been done by Jesus Christ. And so there is that reality. But then there are those individuals that would misapply that truth to say that because that is the reality, you don't have to do anything in your Christian life. That You don't have to pursue anything. 
So sometimes there's the cliche that is used, you just have to let go and let God. And that's a, a little phrase that gets thrown around. And, and there are times and circumstances that are, where, where there are some things that are out of your control. And it, it's true that you do need to let go and let God when it's a circumstance that's beyond your control. It, the concept, okay, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to fret about this. I'm going to release that. It, it's, we're going to see here in Philippians, cast all your cares upon him. You know, he cares for you, Right? But to say, to use that phrase to say that we do not need to pursue anything in our personal sanctification, that we can just let go and let God, and if, as if our growth in holiness is a completely passive process for that, flies in the face of what the Apostle Paul says right here in this text. Some say you don't have to worry about striving for holiness, but Paul is clear that there is effort involved from our human perspective. If you recall back from chapter 2, Paul describes both sides of the growth in holiness coin. He says on one side there is our own effort. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But then he said on the other side, it's because it's God who works in you. He, his work enables our own. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So Paul acknowledges that there are two sides to this coin, but but here in this context, he is emphasizing our side, that there should be effort that is expended upon our behalf where we do press after something, we pursue something. But even as that is the, the main focus of Paul in this paragraph, he doesn't ignore God's work even here. He says, Paul, or Paul says that Christ has laid a hold of him. Or Christ has got a hold of his life. We cannot lay a hold of anything if Christ has not first laid a hold of us. That's the reason why we can seek to lay a hold of additional sanctification in the first place, because he has laid a hold of us. And furthermore, he says that there is the prize of the upward call of God. Right? This pursuit isn't done in the flesh. Right? Paul condemns working in your flesh. That's the beginning of chapter 3. You know, there are some that would seek to work in the flesh, but we do not put confidence in the flesh. Whatever is of the flesh, I count it as loss. Pursuing after Christ, pursuing after knowing Christ, pursuing after a additional sanctification in our lives should not be done in the flesh. But it should be done in the power that Christ supplies to us. And so he calls us to be mindful of these instructions and to think these particular things. And finally, he calls us to be mindful of of what we have already received. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have obtained. One commentator I read this week, I really liked how he phrased it. He said that the Philippians must behave in a manner that is consistent with the truth that they've already received. The Philippians must behave in a manner consistent with the truth that they have already received. Paul encourages us, hey, you've received instruction here. Hold on to that. You've been given truth. Don't forsake that. As you pursue greater knowledge and a closer relationship with Christ, 
Don't forsake what you have already received in Jesus Christ. Let us hold true to what we have already obtained. The Christian life is really a life of pursuing the knowledge of Christ. Not simply intellectual knowledge, but a real personal relationship with Christ. It's, it's simply not enough to just to want to stop sinning. We must want to know Christ. Personal sanctification, again, it is more than letting sin go. It's about pursuing a deeper knowledge of Christ. So the progressing Christian life is a life that is marked by a holy discontentment, a focus, a determination, and a mindfulness of what we have already been given and how we ought to think. So come, let us go further up and let us go further in to the knowledge of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you that it challenges us, it stretches us. Lord, there is such joy and and beauty in knowing Jesus Christ. So I pray that that would be our aim and our pursuit. I pray that we could be focused on knowing Christ, that we would not let whatever it is in our past hold us down and keep us back, but that we would strain forward to what is ahead, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. That is what the author of Hebrews wrote for us, that we should lay aside the things that, that the sin that so easily encumbers us and would seek to hold us back, but to fix our eyes on Jesus, the, the author and the finisher of our faith. Pray that we would do so, that you would keep our eyes fixed on you, and that we would rejoice as we continue to learn more of the depth and the breadth the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you would plant our feet on higher ground. Pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.